1: Welcome to the Life Study Program on Free FM 89.0. I'm Stuart Finlay. Life Study of the Bible is produced by Living Stream Ministry, Anaheim, California, and brought to you by the Church in Hamilton. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Scriptures. We hope that through these studies you will get a deeper appreciation of our dear Lord Jesus. This week it's Ron Kangas with Witness Lee for our program in the Life Study of the Gospel of John, titled Life in Resurrection. The verses are John chapter 20, verses 14 through 17. If you'd like to contact us, our email address is lifestudyprogram at gmail.com and we'll repeat this again later. Now, is Ron and Witness Lee.
2: Ron, these messages at the close of John are full of deep content and truth, and I think we can all agree even much revelation for not only our understanding, but also for our experience. Today, in chapter 20, we have another very profound portion, the Lord's first ascension and the coming of the Comforter. Would you open this up for us by way of introduction?
3: John chapter 20 is in many respects a chapter of realization uh, or actualization. By using these terms, I'm trying to say that in this chapter we have the reality in actual experience of what the Lord revealed concerning his process elsewhere in the gospel. He made it emphatically clear in chapters 14 through 16, that he needed to go, that is, die on the cross, and then come again, that is, come into the disciples as the pneumatic Christ, in order to indwell them. He had, as the first half of the gospel emphasizes, become flesh and tabernacled among humankind. But God's goal is to be in his chosen and redeemed people, not merely among them. What the Lord promised and predicted he would do in John 14 through 16, he manifested himself as having done in chapter 20. This means that by the time of chapter 20, when the Lord came and breathed into his disciples and said, receive the holy breath, the Holy Numa, the Holy Spirit, the process had been consummated. He had gone through death, he had entered into resurrection, he had resurrected with a physical body, and he had also been transfigured into the pneumatic Christ in order to come into the disciples as the life-giving spirit. Along with this, his entering into the disciples, is the precious matter of his secret ascension to the Father, a matter we'll comment on a little later in the program. Here it's sufficient to say that the Lord, who always cared for the Father's heart's desire and interests, ascended to the Father in a secret way to present himself in the freshness of his resurrection for the Father's enjoyment and satisfaction. So, to summarize in chapter 20, we have a revelation of the Christ who has completed the process of on the one hand being the first fruit of resurrection for the Father's delight, and on the other hand being the pneumatic Christ, the life-giving Spirit, to dwell in us as our life for God's building.
2: Thank you, Ron. Let's join Witness Lee for today's life study of the Gospel of John, chapter 20.
0: After he appeared in resurrection to his seeker, he ascended to the Father. And this ascension is a secret way on the day of resurrection. Right on the day of resurrection, early morning, he had to go to the Father. Late in the evening, he came back. How do you know that he went? Because he told Mary, don't touch me, because I had to go to the Father first. Then when he came back, he asked Thomas to touch him, And that proved before the public ascension, 40 days later, he had a secret ascension. Two ascensions. One is a secret one, the other is an open one. This ascension to the Father in a secret way was the full fulfillment of the going predicted by him in 1670. He said, if I don't go, the Comforter will never be sent. If I go, I will send him. That going The going predicted there in 16.7 was fully fulfilled here by his secret ascension. Most of the Christians, nearly all the Christians didn't see this. Every book concerning this would say the going predicted in chapter 16, verse 7 was fulfilled in Acts chapter 1. I would say strongly, no. That going was fulfilled here in John chapter 10.
2: Let's break in here, Ron. We are seeing today that the record in John really points us to the fact that the Lord Jesus, on the day of resurrection, had a brief and secret ascension to the Father. What is the significance of such
3: an ascension? Let's approach this in a two step way. First, we need to see the fact of the Secret Ascension, and the second, we need to see the significance of the Secret Ascension. The Lord appeared to Mary and she was attempting to grasp him or cling to him, and he said, do not touch me, I have not yet ascended to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Yet, later in the chapter, when he appeared to the disciples, he appeared as the one who had not only resurrected, but had, in a secret way, ascended to the Father and, in a very real sense, returned to manifest himself to the disciples. So if we study the text carefully, we will see that the Lord, immediately after his resurrection, intended to, and actually did, ascend to the Father. This ascension is obviously different from the public, glorious ascension that led to his official enthronement and inauguration as the Lord, the Christ, and the King of kings in the heavens. Now for the matter of the significance of the secret ascension. In the Gospel of John, The Lord did everything in oneness with the Father. He spoke the Father's word. He did the Father's will. He carried out the Father's work. He sought the Father's glory. Even at the end of John 14, he indicated that he died out of love for the Father. All this indicates that he lived in such a way to care for the Father's satisfaction. Now in John 20... He had a secret, a hidden ascension to the Father to present Himself in the freshness of His resurrection to the Father for the Father's delight and satisfaction. This secret ascension is actually a fulfillment of a type in the Old Testament. This type says that the first fruits of the harvest were to be taken not to the barn, but to the heavens signified by the house of God, there to be taken to the house of God. We know from 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ is the first fruit of resurrection. We put the type and the word in 1 Corinthians 15 and the record in John 12 together. We see that the Lord as the first fruit in resurrection presented himself to the Father in the heavens for the Father's satisfaction. This is in keeping with the principle that the first fruits are the Lord's. Sometimes we readers of the Bible fail to appreciate things like this because we tend to focus on our need, on our problems, on our situation, on what the Lord is to us and what the Lord has done for us. But we also need to pay attention not to our need and not for what Christ does for us and not only for what Christ is to us, but for what Christ is to God. Christ took care of our need and Christ takes care of the Father's need to have his heart's desire fulfilled to enjoy his beloved Son in the freshness of his resurrection. It was for this purpose that our Lord, motivated by love to the Father, ascended secretly to present himself to the Father in the freshness of his resurrection for the Father's delight and satisfaction. The more I consider this, the more I appreciate with sweet and endearing affection what a wonderful person our Lord Jesus Christ really is.
2: Let's rejoin Witness Lee.
0: Brothers and sisters, never forget the eternal word took two steps. The Word became the flesh. And the flesh, which was the last Adam, became the life giving spirit. You all know these two verses John 1, 14, and first Corinthians fifteen forty five. The first step was the step of incarnation, and the second step was the step of resurrection. In incarnation, as the Word, the eternal Word, He became the flesh, and in resurrection, as the flesh, the last Adam, He became life giving spirit. He, as the eternal Word, became flesh to be the Lamb of God with the blood shed for all redemption. After that, in resurrection, he became the life-giving spirit for the purpose to empower himself into us as life. Ron, let's
2: stop and spend a bit more time on this point if we could. We are really getting into the depth of the process here. Witness Lee pointed out the process revealed in John is of two major steps. Would you review these two steps for us again and how they are significant in God's ultimate plan?
3: The two major steps are incarnation and, in a very real sense, resurrection. Both of these steps were a process of becoming, and both of these steps are crucial. For the accomplishment not only of our redemption, but also of God's eternal purpose, of God's ultimate plan. Christ, who is the very God, Jehovah, the I Am, became flesh. And as the God-man, God in the flesh, the complete God and a perfect man, he was the Lamb of God. So in the first chapter of the Gospel, he's unveiled as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died as this Lamb, as the all-inclusive offering to solve all of our problems, to fulfill God's righteous requirements, and to redeem us back to God. We praise him for this. He is our Lamb, our Redeemer. Unfortunately, many believers in their realization and in their appreciation stop here, perhaps because their concern is mainly with their salvation and not equally with God's economy or God's purpose. So we need to see the further step of Christ's process. First, He, the very God, became a man in the flesh to die as the Lamb for our redemption. Second, In resurrection, this very God-man, the Lamb, our Redeemer, became the pneumatic Christ, the life-giving Spirit, the Spirit of reality, in order to enter into us, to be our life, not for redemption, but for the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose, to have a corporate expression of Himself in Christ, through His redeemed, regenerated, built-up people. So, in in essence, we have two major steps, two major becomings. The Word became flesh, and this Word become flesh, elsewhere called the last Adam, became the life-giving Spirit. If the Word, the very God, had not become flesh to be the Lamb of God to die for us, we would perish, lost in our sins. But he died as our Redeemer. But he didn't stop there. In resurrection, he became the life-giving Spirit to indwell us, to accomplish God's economy. Therefore, the Gospel of John, we can now appreciate, is a full and balanced revelation of Christ as the Redeemer and Christ as the Spirit of reality, redeeming us, saving us, regenerating us, and building us up together for the accomplishment of God's ultimate plan. Let's rejoin Witness Lee.
0: Nearly all the Christians, they say, this promise in John chapter 14, 15, 16 was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. They all say that the comforter came on the day of Pentecost. If I check with you, brothers, says, please tell me, when did the comforter come? Many of you would say, on the day of Pentecost. But, just be patient with me. You see, Rule twenty-four forty-nine 49 says, you have to wait in Jerusalem. uh-huh, Wait for the Father's promise until you be clothed with power from on high. Uh-huh. And this power is likened to what? To something onward. Everybody agrees that this promise of the Father for the power as a truth was fulfilled in Acts. Right? Two, one, two, four. That was right. But listen, before this, you have John 14, verses 16, 17, and 26, and chapter 15, verse 26, and chapter 16, verse 7, 8, and 13. You have all these verses that cover one promise, the promise of the comforter, not for the power. You had a promise in John already, which was fulfilled on the day of his resurrection. Then after this day of resurrection, while he was ascending to the heavens, he reminded the disciples to wait for the Father's promise of power. Could you follow me? Luke's line is, The line of power for work. John's line is the line of life and for life. Here in Luke's line, you have the spirit of power likened like clothes for you to put on. But in John's line, you have the spirit likened as what? As a drink, the clothes is something outward to cover, and the drink is something inward to fill up. Not only so, in Luke's line, when the spirit came, the spirit came upon, upon the spirit came on you, upon you as a power. But in John's line. The Spirit came, the Spirit came in you, came into you. The Spirit of Reality shall abide in you. One is for life in us, the other is for power upon us. Ron, in this
2: last portion, we heard that there are actually two promises of the Spirit's coming, one fulfilled on the day of resurrection and the other fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Of course, we know that there is only one Spirit. I guess the question is, did He come
3: twice? I believe that the proper understanding of this, as with so many divine things, presupposes our recognition of the fact that the divine truth revealed in the Scriptures is twofold. It has two sides. For example, God is one yet this one god is three he's triune on the one hand god is sovereign over all things on the other hand human beings need to respond to him we are not puppets if we approach this matter of the two comings of the spirit in this light uh, i believe unnecessary difficulties in understanding will vanish the spirit is one but in our experience of this one Spirit, there are, according to the New Testament revelation, two major aspects. One emphasized in John chapter 20 and elsewhere, the other in Acts 2 and elsewhere. In John, the emphasis is on life, essentially. So the Spirit is presented as the one breathed into us on the day of the Lord's resurrection to be the divine life in our being. This is the Spirit, as the Spirit of life breathed into us. But we also know from Luke 24 and Acts 1, where the Lord speaks of the promise of the Father and the fulfillment of this promise in Acts 2, that the Spirit came upon the believers in another way, as a mighty wind, that is, as the Spirit of power. So we need not and we should not put these two portions of Scripture in opposition to each other. Rather, we should understand them as complementary to each other, seeing that the one Spirit has these two aspects in our experience. Inwardly, the Spirit is the Spirit of life, essentially. Outwardly, The same Spirit is the Spirit of power economically. So to serve God, to carry out God's economy, we need the Spirit as the Spirit of life within us, and we need the Spirit as the Spirit of power upon us. I would suggest that this is the way we should understand the scriptural revelation of the two comings of the Spirit of God. Maybe a brief
2: follow-up to that last point, Ron. Do we have separate experiences of receiving Him first as the indwelling Spirit and then later as the
3: Spirit that clothes us outwardly with this empowering? This is an excellent question, and uh, it far exceeds our uh, time to answer comprehensively. We need to realize that the major events in God's economy have been accomplished once for all. Christ died once for all. Christ resurrected once for all. Christ breathed out the essential spirit of life once for all. And Christ poured out the spirit of power upon his body in two phases, but yet once for all. Now the question concerns our experience. We know from John 3.8, the Lord said, The wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. This suggests to me that there is a certain unpredictability and a certain inability to systematize and box in the moving of the Spirit. In the case of many believers, we first realized that the Spirit is the indwelling Spirit through our regeneration. Only later did we learn that the Spirit of power has been poured out upon the body of Christ and that we may claim this Spirit in our experience Time and time again. The crucial thing to realize is that the body of Christ has received the inbreathing of the Spirit of life, and the body of Christ has also received the outpouring of the Spirit of power. So there is no need for us to pray to be baptized in the Spirit, just as there is no need for us to pray for Christ to die for us or to be resurrected or to ascend for us. However, we still need to pray that we would experientially appropriate the fullness of the Spirit, both as life and as power. I would urge and even beg our brothers and sisters in Christ, let us all let the wind blow where it wills, and instead of trying to systematize or schematize the experience of the Spirit. Let's experience the Spirit for the carrying out of God's economy. Letting God truly be God. Thank you, Ross.
1: The light in this program is exceptional and helpful. Here's a quote I appreciated. If we read the Bible carefully, we shall see that the Spirit is firstly the Spirit of Light and secondly the spirit of power. In Luke's line the spirit of power is likened to clothes which we put on. In John's line the spirit is likened to water which we take in by drinking. Clothes are something outward to cover us, and drink is something inward to fill us. We're always happy to hear from you and to answer any questions you may have. We also have copies of the recovery version of the New Testament but it's with its accompanying footnotes available. These are free and we'd love to send you a copy. You can call us on Hamilton 853 2620 or email us at lifestudyprogram at gmail.com If you'd rather you can order a free copy from Bible for New Zealand that's bfnz.org.nz They also have a phone number 0800 40 40 80. Join me again next week at the same time 2.30pm when we will have the next life study in the book of John. We close with the hymn in 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 from the CD Divine Romans in
0: into his disciples He told them,
3: Receive ye the home.
1: listening to free fm 89.0 the great station supported by new zealand on air we hope you've enjoyed today's life study program and thank you for joining us
0: thanks for listening to this free fm podcast if you want to hear more content like this you can support free fm
3: via patreon head to patreon.com slash free fm 89 to find out more